scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads in a brief word of prayer. Let's pray together. God, we thank you just for uh, your word and the things that it teaches us. We pray, God, for hearts not only to receive and to hear your word, but even uh, hearts to uh, believe in the goodness of your word. And sometimes there are things that we encounter in your word that maybe we don't understand uh, or doesn't seem, uh, yeah, I guess, or doesn't seem, uh, we don't understand uh, its goodness for our lives and our faith. Uh, but we need your Holy Spirit to grant us illumination, uh, to help us to understand, to help us to see, but also to change the desires of our hearts, to recognize that uh, all things that you will, uh, through your word, are things for our ultimate good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this weekend, the elders and the deacons, uh, we had a, a prayer retreat. So uh, we just got back this morning, actually, from the Poconos. Um, <clears throat> You know, I'm a little tired. We, we did a lot of singing, a lot of praying. My voice, I think, is, uh, is about to go. But we, this fall, we, we're focusing on prayer. And I think this kind of retreat for some of the leaders and the servants of the church was a way to practically do that and to pray for the church and to cover this church and this year in prayer. And it was really a wonderful time. So we're going through a series on prayer, and we're doing that by looking at various prayers in the Bible. But... Last minute, I decided to change the sermon topic, and every time Dan leads, I do that. Sorry, Dan. Uh, today, we're going to actually take a little bit of a break from uh, this prayer series, but we're going to talk about something that I think will actually help us in our prayer. Uh, it's something so important that if you don't build it into your lives, then you may self-destruct. You may self-destruct spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And we probably would not consider it to be a sin in the modern age, but it is actually something that would have been considered a pretty serious sin in Old Testament times if you did not do this. Do you know what that thing is? Rest. It's called rest. We're going to look at the fourth commandment today. And in the fourth commandment, which called the people of God to remember the Sabbath day, and it, it begins to expound on what that actually means. And it says this, basically, for six days you, are, you labor, and then for one day a week, you are to cease from your labors. You are forbidden to work one day a week. Now, it may sound strange that God has to command rest in one of the Ten Commandments. He commands rest. But once we really think about the importance of rest, then I think we start to see the necessity of rest, not only for us physically, but especially for us spiritually and for what it does to our faith. Now, here's a reason why I'm diverting from the series and talking about rest. It's in conjunction with an announcement that I'm going to make today. And the announcement is this, uh, Peter, who is one of our elders, Eunice, who is one of our uh, deacons, uh, we are going to send them away on like a sabbatical uh, to take rest from ministry. And we started talking about it in August. Uh, they didn't bring it up. I actually brought it up. I thought it was, uh, it was about time for them to, to take a little bit of a sabbatical. Uh, they're about to have a third child, and so the timing seemed right. 
But they are, I think, maybe one of the few couples who have been here from the beginning of this church. Even I haven't been here from the beginning of this church. Uh, I came a little bit later. But they have been here from the beginning of this church uh, serving and uh, especially leading worship. And as time has gone by, they've been involved in different ministries, in mercy ministries, in worship ministries, uh, going to meeting after meeting after meeting to plan, to pray, and to serve this church. They are also one of the unique families, I think, and uh, I was reminded of this when uh, we were praying for them last night uh, by our elder Fred, but they are actually one of the unique families in our church that actually reach out and love those who are actually difficult to love. I remember a particular Sunday when we were on our old location, and sometimes we'd have people from the streets and homeless folk walk in, and uh, uh, we used to serve food back then and have an evening service. And I remember a homeless lady walking in, and uh, they were so hospitable. And uh, I don't know if anybody knows this, but even after the service, they drove her. They live in Brooklyn. They drove her to a women's shelter uptown in uptown Manhattan. And this is in the evening, and this is when they had kids, right? Uh, Forsaking their kids' uh, sleep time. And they drove them up to drop this woman off to a women's shelter, and they drove back home. This is the kind of uh, family they are and the kind of people they are. Uh, If you are a regular here, uh, you may have noticed that the last couple Sundays, uh, they haven't been up here leading worship. And uh, that's intentional because the last couple Sundays, we're trying to transition to uh, some other members of the worship team. And worship was great today, by the way. Thank you, worship team. Uh, But uh, we're trying to transition some of their responsibilities so that they can, uh, for once, be able to sit in the pews and be able to sing instead of have the responsibility of coming to church early, coming to set up, choosing the songs, practicing, doing all these things, and leading worship. So because we are giving them a sabbatical, uh, it's going to last about six months. I'm very excited for them, and I think there are some things that you can learn uh, uniquely during a time of sabbatical and taking a step away from uh, serving and from ministry. So that's why we're going to talk about this today. Now, why are we ultimately doing this? Well, first, we want to do it for their spiritual benefit. Hopefully, it gives them an opportunity to uh, be refreshed spiritually. Uh, We want them to spend more time together as a family. Uh, We want Peter and Eunice to spend more time together as a married couple. And especially with the third on the way, they are going to, I think, need uh, all the time that they can get with their family. We also want them to experience worshiping from the pews. And it's not necessarily even going to be at Good News Church, but I've encouraged them. Go visit other churches. Go worship at other churches and worship from the pews. Uh, We also want them to grow spiritually in ways that, as I mentioned before, you can only grow during a time of sabbatical. Uh, You know, when you serve uh, in ministry for a long time and when you're just really deeply involved in, in church, I think there are a couple unique temptations that arise. So, for example... Uh, you can start to feel as though, you know, everybody's relying upon you and depending upon you uh, to do certain things and fill certain roles, and you start to think that um, the church won't uh, be, like, do well or be good if you don't do your part, and sometimes when you don't do your part, uh, there's there's a sense of guilt that comes with that, but, you know, I think the spiritual reality is nobody's actually indispensable to a church, no person, uh, The worship leader is not indispensable. Elder is not indispensable. Deacon is not indispensable. You know who else is not indispensable? Me, right? You don't need me. (laughs) Pastor is not indispensable to the church. Ultimately, God is the one who makes ministry go, right? Ultimately, what the church needs is the Holy Spirit, and when the Spirit dwells within the church, that's all a church really needs. 
And sometimes uh, I think you need to take a step away from ministry to just see that a little bit clearer and kind of step away from responsibilities to see that a little bit clearer. But we, all, we are also doing this for the benefit, uh, not just of the family, but of the church at large. I've heard somebody say that taking a sabbatical is kind of like changing uh, the oil in a car. And if you don't do it, you don't necessarily see problems arise immediately and the car can go for a period of time. But if you neglect it, then eventually the car is going to break down. And so I think if you want to see some longevity in terms of people serving, uh, we have to be able to give people who are always serving a period of rest. And the thing about the, the reason why that's so hard, especially for a small church like ours, is uh, giving people rest and sabbatical is always going to be inconvenient in the short term because there's always a sense of we need people, we need more people to serve, uh, we need people in this area and that area. It's always going to feel uh, inconvenient in the short term, but I do think it's much healthier in the long term. And so that's the reason why rest is something that's commanded. Now, you did not come here to hear an announcement. You came here to hear a sermon. So that's the announcement part. Uh, here's how the sermon relates. You know, the fourth commandment required the people of Israel to actually stop working. And nobody was supposed to work. And it's so specific. It says no family member, no servant, no animal even is supposed to work. The pattern of rest is something that is supposed to be built into the habits of our lives in the people of Israel. And why did rest have to be something that is commanded. You ever think about that? Wouldn't everybody want rest? Why does God command rest? Because rest actually tells you a lot about your faith and actually tells you a lot about how much you really trust the Lord. In New York, and due to technology, I think the city has a really unhealthy work culture. Uh, if you disagree with me, let me know. But I think everybody here <laughs> agrees with me. People here probably work way, way too much. And... I'm going to imagine maybe some of us have a really hard time uh, getting away from our work. And because of technology, we're always getting emails. Uh, we can always do emails. Uh, we have our laptops. We can work at night. I oftentimes hear stories uh, of people working to like 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And that's, that's crazy. But that's what people do, and especially in New York. And I think in New York, there's a sense of pride that comes with that. It's like, I work a lot, I work hard, and therefore, um, maybe it gives us a sense of existential meaning. Because I work so much, what my life is worthwhile, my life is valuable, I'm strong, I'm capable. Rest is commanded, actually, to teach us that the very opposite thing of that that we are actually not infinitely strong, that we have limitations, that we are mere creatures, and God is our creator. You know, there, there is a temptation to be able to work a lot, and I, you know the jobs that I think are the most dangerous uh, with respect to working too much? I think it's like the job of a student, the job of parents, the job of business owners, the job of financial analysts, the job of pastors, or any kind of job where there is like no boundary, where it's up to you to determine how much work to do, where there's always more that you could do. And basically, it's a, the temptation there is what? To work all the time, because you can, right? I just met up with a friend of mine this past week. He started his own physical therapy practice, and he was telling me uh, he works basically seven days a week 
he does all the insurance stuff, all the administrative stuff, all the physical therapy stuff, all the business related stuff, paying the rent stuff, everything, right? He does it himself. And he just started this past year. And uh, I, I was just looking at him, I was like, how are you gonna keep this up? That, that's just like an impossible pace. Uh, if you do that, you're, you're gonna burn yourself out eventually. You have to build in some time for rest. And I think he knows that, but still, right, it's really hard to step away from, if it's your business, it's hard to step away from your baby, right? Because you want it to do well. And there's something inside that basically says this, if I don't work all the time, then something's gonna go wrong. Something's gonna go wrong with the business. And I'm sure some of us maybe can relate to that even a little bit, even if we don't own our own business. We think, if I don't work all of these hours, if I don't do all of this for my children, if I don't do all of this for the church, things are going to fall apart. But you know, that's just not true. And the temptation is to start thinking, my world is ultimately held together by my work and my hands rather than by God. And by the way, I'm not saying that means work is unimportant. Uh, it says work six days, right? Labor six days a week. But you see, that one day of rest is a way of saying this, I don't have to work all the time, and my w world will not fall apart if I don't work all the time because God is in control of my life, and ultimately God is the one who holds my world together. You see, I wonder if that's part of the reason why the Sabbath command is the fourth commandment, right? Out of ten commandments, one of the commands is to command work. Think about it. If in those days, if you were a farmer, your survival depends upon the fruit of the land, and if your survival depends upon the fruit of the land, then I think the great temptation, maybe even a greater temptation for us is, I need to work this land all the time. Harvest time is coming. Oh, I need to sow right away. Or, you know, if you're a greedy person and you want to maximize profits in those days, maybe you're tempted to overwork your servants and overwork your animals all the time. Not only that, you know, in the Bible, it actually commands that there's a Sabbath rest for the actual land itself. So every seven years... The land was supposed to be at rest, which means that the field could not be sown and the vineyard was not to be pruned. I can't imagine being a farmer and not being able to farm for one year every seven years so that the land could rest, but that's something that God commands. Why? Well, physically, there's obvious benefits to rest. Ceasing from your labors is something that refreshes you, sustains you in terms of ag agriculture. Not farming the land is a good thing because you can exhaust the land and so there's long-term benefit for future harvest when you give the land rest. But I think the reason for this is ultimately spiritually. Spiritually speaking, the ability to cease from your labors and rest is an exercise of faith. Can you believe that? It is an exercise of faith. If we don't think we ever need rest, then what that probably says and what that is probably symptomatic of is we have proud and arrogant hearts because we think we can do it all when we can't. There's a book I read on humility a long time ago and the author says in that book, sleep is actually one of the most humble things that human beings do. <laughs> sleep. When we sleep, what we're saying is this, we are dependent creatures. We have limitations. Uh, we don't have infinite energy, but we have to rest. Sleep says that the world doesn't fall apart if I rest. Sleep is an expression of trust and faith in the God who is in control. If you look at Psalm 3, one of the great psalms in the Bible, 
David, he's being pursued. He's filled with anxiety. He's filled with fear. People are trying to kill him. He prays to God, remembers that God is his shield, and after that, what does he do? It says he lies down and he sleeps. For David, his ability to sleep is an expression of faith. It says, I trust in you, God. Though people are chasing me, though people are trying to kill me, my trust is in you, and therefore I can rest. You see, when we say rest is optional, we're not submitting to the limitations of who we are as dependent creatures. If that's the case, then we can also say that rest is no mere physical issue. The ability to rest is a spiritual issue. And if we can't cease from our labors and rest from our work, then it means uh, we think everything depends upon us. It means we carry the burden of keeping our world together. It means we carry the burden of making sure things don't go wrong. Uh, and we don't have that control. Ultimately, it means that we think we can probably do a better job than God can in terms of taking care of us. And our ability to rest is an indication that we have not received spiritual rest. And so the question I think for us is this. If we struggle with rest, if we can't rest from our labors, if we can't step away from work, if we can't step away from our phones, how do we find that rest? How do we disconnect and experience rest? Well, when we get to the New Testament, uh, we find that people have actually turned this Sabbath commandment into something that it wasn't meant to be. You know, when Jesus comes and he does certain things on the Sabbath, the, the Jewish leaders, they rebuke him for it, and they say, he is not observing the Sabbath because they're observing the Sabbath day through a legal lens. They're looking at, at it as a command to be kept, which is ironic because it's not meant to be a burden, but it's meant to be something that gives us rest. When Jesus comes, rest is not a command. He doesn't command rest. Rest is an invitation to take. We looked at this in our call to worship today, but Matthew 11, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now the invitation is not only for those who are feeling physically weary, but for those who feel all kinds of weary, weary, weariness. Uh, it's for those who feel weary from the news, which I'm sure many of you feel weary from from this past week, weary from personal interrelational conflicts, weary from your own sense of failure, weary from a kind of guilt that crushes you, weary from trying to be perfect and do everything perfectly. All of these things lead to greater burdens, and Jesus is giving an invitation. If you feel weary, come to me, and I promise you, I will give you rest. kind of rest that Jesus offers, and we'll see this in the next verse, is a spiritual rest, a rest for our very souls. So how do we get that rest? Well, we look at the next verse in that Matthew passage. He says this, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now there's two things I think we can get from that in terms of how we get this rest. First, it actually means this, that rest is not necessarily simply the absence of activity, uh, but it has to do with actually doing the right kind of activity. Uh, I know that, for me at least, the most restful thing is actually not to uh, stay in bed all day or to just like, I don't know, watch TV and play video games. Uh, it may be for some people here, but for me, 
if I do that, I actually don't really feel refreshed. Uh, I feel <laughs> even more tired. So I, I, I realize that I find the most refreshment when I do something active. Uh, if I go fishing, which I never do. <laughs> if, I, uh, if I paint, which I never do. <laughs> but when I, when I have engaged in these kind of activities, I've actually felt very refreshed. And I think the reason I feel very refreshed is because, you know, my mind and uh, everything, my focus, my attention, it's actually directed away from my work and maybe the things that cause me worry and cause me anxiety. And it's focused on something that is... Um, I don't know, like not, not hard to do, uh, somewhat enjoyable, but at the end of it, I really feel rest. Now, everybody here, you're going to have something different in terms of how you find that kind of rest. And maybe for you, it is watching Netflix or watching movies, but you kind of have to figure out what that rest is. But my point is not actually do these things. My point is rest is not necessarily ceasing from any kind of activity, but rest is finding and discovering the right kind of activity to engage in. You know, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was not only for ceasing from your labors, but it was also used as a time of worship and as a time to remember God, as a time to hear from his word. You know, there's actually two versions of the Ten Commandments, one in Exodus, one in Deuteronomy. In Exodus, the passage that we read today, the highlight here in terms of the fourth commandment is to remember that God is our creator. God created the world. In six days, he worked. Seventh day, he rested. But you know, in Deuteronomy, the fourth commandment is a little bit different, and it calls us to remember God as a redeemer. And it says, observe the Sabbath day, observe, observe the Sabbath rest. Why? To remember that God brought you out of the land of Egypt. And I think that's a clue in terms of how we get rest for our souls. It's not necessarily by ceasing from activities, but the kind of soulful, burden-relieving rest comes about by actively pursuing the presence of God and being in his presence in worship and prayer. And I think that's the way spiritual rest comes. Now that's, that's the whole idea, actually, if you don't know, of Sunday worship. Now whether we call it Sabbath, which is debatable, whether we call it the Lord's Day is debatable, but that's the kind of idea of what we're trying to do here. For some of us, it does feel like a lot of work to get here, I understand, but when we come into the presence of God and we have this deep, real, authentic encounter with the true and the living God and his love and his grace and his gospel touches us in a very profound way. There is no greater rest than that. And that is the kind of rest that Jesus is inviting us into. Second thing is this. Rest comes, actually by way of paradox. You know, uh, you wouldn't think that rest comes by taking on yoke because uh, a yoke is something that would probably add burden. Uh, and if you don't know what a yoke is, it's kind of like this wooden bar and uh, animals would use it and you kind maybe there's like the, a big carriage or a plow or something heavy and animals would be yoked and they would move and that's how they would pull the plow. Jesus is saying, take my yoke and when you take my yoke, your burden will actually be made easier. Now what does that mean? How does taking upon yoke make our burden easier? You know, I was reading the commentaries on this, and I, I thought this was really interesting because I'm not part of that culture, and I don't know how things work. Um, the commentaries were really insightful in this, but one of the commentaries I read said this. If you're an animal, and uh, if you're yoked to something, you wouldn't actually be yoked by yourself, but you would be yoked with another animal. So you have two animals that are yoked together, and together they pull something heavy. It could be that perhaps Jesus is saying this. Yoke yourself to my yoke, 
because I will do all the pulling. And because I will do all the labor and all the work for you, when you yoke yourself to me, your burden will be made that much easier. When Jesus offers an invitation to come to him, he says, come, yoke yourself to me. It doesn't come without cost. There is a huge cost to be paid in order to do that, and that cost, of course, is paid by him. Jesus, he dies upon a cross, and you know what that action of dying upon a cross does with respect to work and labor? It means this. He takes our burdens upon himself. He takes the burden of our sin upon himself, the burden of our failure upon himself, the burden of our weakness upon himself. He is that yoked animal, I guess we could say, who is doing all the pulling. And when we yoke ourselves to him, we experience his strength doing all the work, and we lean upon him, and that is a great relief and a great burden. He says this, I will give you my righteousness so you don't have the burden of having to earn it on your own. I will give you my love so that you do not carry the burden of trying to earn love from others. I will give you my security so that you don't carry the burden of trying to find security on your own. I will give you these things so that your burden would be made light. But if you want to do this, if you want this rest, you got to yoke yourself to me. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, when we're yoked to Jesus, when we take on the yoke of Jesus, the legwork of pulling that plow is done by him through his work on the cross. And therefore, when we come to him and take his yoke by yoking ourselves to him, that is when we find deep rest for our souls. Friends, let me ask you this. This is rhetorical. You don't have to answer because I know the answer is yes. Are you weary? (laughs) You probably are. Are you unable to find rest from your work? Are you able to kind of just disconnect and take a day off? Every day you got to check your email. Every day you got to plan something. Every day you got to be productive and efficient. Do you see yourself as maybe the lone animal who is yoked and pulling something heavy and expending all your strength and energy into this thing? Here's the encouragement. Jesus offers an invitation. Come. Come to me. Come take my yoke. And I will ease your burden because my yoke is easy and light. Are you working too much? Because you're looking for some sense of meaning or purpose in your life, some sense of glory. There's a better path to get these things. Yoke yourself to Christ and let him receive it from him. Let it give it to you through the gospel through faith. You know, I know things like prayer and coming to church on Sundays, it it can feel like a burden, uh, which I experience too. Sometimes it's a lot of work. But if that's primarily how we view worship time, gathering together, then maybe we're looking at it as the Pharisees did. And we're looking at the Christian life more through the lens of duty and hard, strict obedience to the things Jesus commanded and doing it because that's what Christians are supposed to do. If that's the case, we need a deep shift in perspective and we need to say, look, gathering and worship, it's not command. It's invitation. And we need to receive that invitation 
and use it as an opportunity to remember the one who carries our burdens so that we might have rest for our souls. And I think when we have that rest for our souls, when we're not working so hard to achieve and to gain all of these other things through our work, you'll actually find that you'll be able to step away from your work, that you'll be able to trust God, that you'll be able to know that the things that you're pursuing through your work, God has already given to us in infinite measure. Let's pray together.